Peace on earth, that's sometimes a, a foreign concept. Seems like it's almost always a foreign concept. Uh, what's the statistic that on any given time there are a hundred or so conflicts, maybe more going on around the world, if not uh, full-scale all-out wars? Well, peace on earth is a, is a tough thing to find. Back during uh, World War II, obviously, uh, there, there haven't been too many world wars. We've only named two of them uh, as world wars that, that truly encompassed the whole earth. And even World War I, I'm not uh, as much, a, I'm not as knowledgeable about one, World War I as I am World War II, but even World War I didn't quite encompass the whole world. I mean, maybe for them at the time it felt like it, but... Uh, it didn't go all the places that World War II did. World War II was everywhere. Uh, even on the U.S. continent, we don't think that, we don't remember it, or, or it's not something that's, uh, that's out there a lot, but there were some battles fought, fought on the Aleutian Islands off the coast of Alaska. So there were few continents untouched by uh, World War II. Truly, in that, for those... Well, five years that, uh, uh, four years that we were involved as a nation, and then the years before that leading up, there, there was, it would have seemed, no peace on earth. July 24th, or 26th rather, uh, 1945, there was a thing called the Potsdam Declaration. It was uh, in the town of Potsdam. The get, folks got together, they met and discussed what would need to happen in order for there to be peace among, uh, bet between the, the world and Japan. Japan, you know, being a, a, an instigator in World War II when they uh, bombed Pearl Harbor, they, the, the leaders discussed what would have to be, what would Jap Japan have to do in order for there to be peace, for the, the fighting with Japan to, to stop. And they came up with these, uh, these rules, the, these, the, the, the things that Japan must do, and then they presented that once Japan was ready to surrender uh, after a couple of uh, uh, atomic bombs. That was presented to them as the, the Japanese instrument of surrender. It was signed on the USS Missouri September 2nd, 1945. Uh, there were actually very few provisions uh, off the top of my head, seven or eight provisions in the Potsdam Declaration that made it into the Japanese uh, uh, instrument of surrender that they signed. The reason there were so few provisions, they had some, some governmental provisions, things that had to happen with the government. Uh, there were, there were uh, how troops were to be, uh, were to be treated, uh, what would happen with Japanese troops when it was over. But the reason there were so few other provisions was because of one very important provision that said, we hereby proclaim the unconditional surrender. I've underlined that because it's pretty important. The unconditional surrender to the allied powers of the Japanese Imperial General Headquarters and of all Japanese armed forces and all armed forces under Japanese control wherever situated. 
They didn't have to have a lot of provisions in this instrument of surrender because that one provision pretty well covered everything. Japan, you got to stop. We don't give you anything in this. You stop fighting and, and, and we win and the war will end. Uh, that was the requirement for peace on both sides. And, and uh, at Potsdam, they had not yet, or I should say prior to Potsdam, they had not dropped the atomic bombs yet. But there's some language in the Potsdam Declaration that says, you better watch out, better not pout, and all those things. You, you better be careful, Japan, because this is, this is a tool in our belt that we are willing to use. They, they ignored it then after the bombs came along, though. They said, you know what, maybe peace is a good idea. That was, that was the, the unconditional surrender of Japan. I bring that up because Japan had no negotiating power in this. No, they couldn't come to the table and say, yeah, all right, we'll surrender, but we want these things. No, 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 unconditional. It, you don't get anything out of this deal. It, it, it is a... Uh, uh, 100 to 0 uh, uh, end to this war. The reality is that in order to have peace with God, we have to come with the same unconditional surrender. Far too often we come to God and say, Sure, God, I want peace with you, but here are my conditions. If you do these things for me, then I'll follow you. If, if you continue to allow me to do these things, then, then I'll say you're mine. If, if, but, but that is not how peace with God works. We're going to go back a pretty good ways, especially since we've been in Matthew for so long now, back a pretty good ways to Leviticus chapter 26. Leviticus chapter 26, verses 3 through 6. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, third book of the Bible. Uh, go back there, and this is the next to the last chapter in Leviticus. Leviticus is not the first book you think of when you think of Christmas sermons. It certainly wasn't the first book I thought of when I was thinking of, of Christmas sermons. To be honest, most preachers, for most preachers, Leviticus isn't the first book you think of when you're thinking of preaching, period. It's just not the easiest book uh, to, to preach from. Leviticus is a book of laws, a book of rules. It's, it's what Moses got on the mountain meeting with God on, the, on Mount Sinai. It was the, the rules. This is how your relationship Israel. This is how your relationship with God and with each other and with outsiders should go. It was all the rules they had to follow. So thinking, how in the world was this lead up to Christmas? How are we getting there? Well, you have to bear with me. Because this morning is a, very, a fairly simple message about peace. Peace requires unconditional surrender. Leviticus 26, 3 through 6. If you follow my statutes and faithfully observe my commands, I will give you rain at the right time, and the land will yield its produce, and the trees of the field will bear their fruit. Your threshing will continue until grape harvest, and the grape harvest will continue until sowing time. You'll have plenty of food to eat and live securely in your land. I will give peace to the land. I will give peace to the land. 
and you will lie down with nothing to frighten you. I will remove dangerous animals from the land, and no sword will pass through your land. God goes on to make other promises the next few verses that we'll briefly look at, but I want you to see peace in the land in verse 6. Keep that in mind. I will give peace to the land. But we really need to go back to the beginning of the verse, right? And, and, and see where this starts. Uh, my statutes, follow my statutes. Faithfully observe my commands, verse 3 says. Now, I've already told you Leviticus is an entire book of, of laws and rules, but it doesn't just stop there. As a matter of fact, Leviticus, Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy all have various laws and rules. As a matter of fact, in those three, or rather four books, there are some 613 laws that Israel has to follow. Now, the, the reality is not every law affects every individual. For example, there was a, a, a particular sacrifice that someone had to give if they had been cured of leprosy. And they had to, once they were clean, they had to present a particular sacrifice. Now, that's a law, but it's not going to affect everybody. As a matter of fact, that's going to affect very few people. But... All of these laws affected this, this community of Israel. So if, if the leper here who had been uh, cured of, of leprosy didn't take the appropriate sacrifice to the temple as Leviticus instructed, then, then that affects the entire community. We see over and over and over throughout the Old Testament that corporate obedience leads to corporate blessings. And that's what Leviticus was. These 613 laws, not just in Leviticus, but in other books, they set forth how Israel corporately would follow God and how God would bless them corporately. It, it flowed down to the individual, down to the individual rather, but because each individual, it's just like a church, when, when we as church members don't put forth the effort to minister to our community, when we as a church, as individuals, don't show up and, and, and do for the church what needs to be done, then the church doesn't or isn't able to function as the church is supposed to. We can say the church does this, the church goes here, the church is that, and the church is these other things, but until the individuals in the church start doing and leading and serving and worshiping and witnessing, then the church is actually doing jack squat. And that's corporately we have a mission, corporately we look like a certain thing to the community, but until the individuals start doing those things, nothing's really getting done. Corporately, this obedience leads to uh, these corporate blessings. So this whole community now has to follow the law and redirect those that don't. So if, you know, your cousin was one of those that got cured of leprosy and, and had not taken the appropriate sacrifice to thank God for the cure, then it was the responsibility of the family, of the neighborhood to, to say, hey, fella, you know, this is what you have to do. This, this is what God has called us to do in order to maintain our relationship with Him. And then you uh, have uh, peace, you have fruitful land, etc., etc. In reality, though, verses 1 and 2, let me take you back to them, those two verses in verse 26. 
Do not make idols for yourselves. Set up a carved image or sacred pillar for yourselves. Or place a sculpted stone in your land to bow down to it. For I am Yahweh your God. You must keep my Sabbaths and revere my sanctuary. I am Yahweh. In reality, those 613 laws found uh, Exodus, Deuteronomy, uh, Numbers, and, and Leviticus. Uh, those 613 could be very easily wrapped up into those two verses, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 26. Those kind of condense everything that God has told Moses, everything that Moses is going to tell the people. Yeah, you need to follow those laws, but even the, the, the sacrifice by the leper to God, or the former leper to God, all, that's just about worshiping the correct God and knowing where your healing came from. So we can really just wrap all those up in there. So Israel, if you want peace, if you want these blessings, corporately, uh, corporate blessings that affect you individually, then don't worship any other gods. Keep my Sabbath and my sanctuary. Keep the correct worship that you're supposed to have for me. And then these other things will happen. This peace this, this peace among other blessings. Because as I said, it goes on for quite a ways, uh, all the way through, verses, uh, through thir verse 13. He continues with the blessings. In verse 6, I'll give you peace. You'll lie down with nothing to frighten you. Verse 7, you'll pursue your enemies and they will fall before you by the sword. Uh, five will pursue a hundred. A hundred will pursue ten thousand. They'll fall. I will turn to you, make you fruitful and multiply you. Confirm my covenant. You'll eat uh, of the old grain of the previous year and will clear out the old to make room for the new. They're going to be throwing away stuff is basically what he's saying. I will place my residence among you, and I will not reject you. I will walk among you and be your God. You will be my people. I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt so that you would no longer be their slaves. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to live in freedom. Look at all these wonderful blessings that God will give. I dare say, though, peace is the most important one. And peace depended on everybody. Why do I say peace is the more, most important one? Because you don't, you don't defeat your enemies, or rather, you don't have peace unless you defeat your enemies. You don't have peace when you can't feed your, your kids. You, you don't have peace when uh, you're, you're, the land doesn't produce. You don't have peace when you're wondering Will the next harvest come in time? Will what I brought into the storehouses this year last me until next year? You don't have peace when you're worried about all those little things. So that's why I believe peace here is the all-encompassing uh, uh, descriptor of what God will give if everyone is obedient. Without these other blessings, or with, rather without peace, these other blessings mean little or are, or are impossible. Peace. We think of peace, or we think of the opposite of peace as being strife. But if we continue to read, for God, the opposite of peace is not strife. The opposite of peace is discipline. God doesn't set up here in Leviticus, doesn't tell them you're going to have problems. We know we're going to have problems. We know that, that you know, some 
in their case, they knew some country would attack at some point. They knew they'd have skirmishes on the outskirts. They didn't know it yet, but a lot of the reason why they had those skirmishes, why they continued to have fights and continued to fight other countries, is because they didn't obey God to begin with when they went into the promised land. They didn't know that at the time. God did, and God said, obey me, do what I say, you will have peace. They didn't, they didn't have peace. But we think, well, okay, they didn't have peace because bad stuff was happening. That's not what it says in Leviticus. It says that the lack of peace was because of discipline from God. Ever-increasing discipline. If we read on the rest of the chapter, read chapter 6, starting in verse 14, you, we would see that it gets worse and worse and worse. Verse 14 begins it and says, But if you do not obey me and observe all these commands, if you reject my statutes and despise my ordinances and do not observe all of my commands and break my covenant, then I will do this to you, colon, and he starts rattling off things that he will do. Verse 18. Notice, notice he doesn't say, and then I will do these other things. He says in verse 18 something very interesting. But if after these things you will not obey me. What's he doing? He's trying to get the people back. He's trying to get them, obey me now. You know, yes, I have disciplined you in these ways. So obey me. Follow my statutes. Come back to me. Repent and return to me. But if you don't, verse 18, if you will not obey me, I will proceed to discipline you seven times for your sin. He's multiplying the discipline. Verse 21, if you act with hostility toward me, Right? Because, you know, we get disciplined, we get mad. That's what we do. And he says, if you act with hostility toward me and are unwilling to obey me, I will multiply your plagues seven times. Verse 23. If in spite of these things you do not accept my discipline, what are they doing? They're not turning around. They're just getting angrier and angrier with God. If in spite of things you do not accept my discipline, but act with hostility toward me, then I will act with hostility toward you. I will also strike you seven times. We just multiplied it again. This is exponential here. This is not addition. This is multiplication. Verse 27, and as bad as I am in math, I do know the difference between addition and multiplication. Verse 27, and if in spite of this you do not obey me, but act with hostility toward me, I will act with furious hostility toward you. I will also discipline you seven times for your sins. And verse 29 says, You will eat the flesh of your sons. You will eat the flesh of your daughters. It will get so bad that you will resort to cannibalism. Oh, God wouldn't do that. I'm not going to let you make you turn there. But over in 2 Kings... The king was walking around. They had been under siege by the Assyrians for a long, long time. And it will tell you that uh, in that, that passage in 2 Kings that uh, a donkey's head sold for an astronomical amount of money and bur bird poop sold for an extreme amount of money because they were eating whatever they could and using whatever they could for fuel. 
We also see the story, though, as the king walks around and hears these things, that a woman comes running up to the king and says, King, king, we have a dispute we need you to settle. Now, they're starving. They have been under siege. They have nothing but folks are arguing. You can imagine the king, you know, really? Y'all are arguing about stuff? Don't y'all have enough issues to, okay, what is it? This woman and I made an agreement. We said that today, or rather yesterday, we would kill my infant and eat it. And then tomorrow, or today actually, we would kill her infant and eat it. Well, yesterday we killed mine, and today she won't let us kill hers. And the king was floored, undone, ripped his clothes, and you read the story, eventually God intervened. But it all happened because the people were repeatedly disobedient. They did not have peace because they did not obey and follow their God. The opposite of peace is not strife, but discipline. But repentance is always possible. And it is always preferred. Because if we continue to the end of verse, or chapter 26 to verse 40, notice in all those passages I previously read, if you don't turn, if in spite of this you continue, if you continue to do these things. Verse 40, But if they will confess their sin and the sin of their fathers, their unfaithfulness that they practiced against me, and how they acted with hostility toward me, and I acted with hostility toward them, and brought them into the land of their enemies, and if their uncircumcised hearts will be humbled, and if they will pay the penalty for their sin, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob. I will also remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. And then he goes on to say he will forgive them and restore them. All he's looking for is repentance. All he needs from the people in order to restore peace, restore the blessing, is repentance. And if we read the story, as we went through the story, as I preached that sermon series, and we went through uh, the Old Testament specifically, and we see in Kings and other places, ju uh, judges, they repeatedly turned from God until finally they got exactly what he told them they would get in uh, 586 B.C. when uh, Jerusalem was destroyed in the, 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 the Jewish country, Israel, North, Judah, South. The people no longer existed as their own self-governing entity. And they were carried off into Babylon, and it happened exactly the way God said it would happen. So basically, right, <clears throat> if, if, if you want peace, you have to be perfect. Peace equals perfection, or maybe perfection equals peace. So, Michael, is perfect obedience to the law possible? No. See, see, God knew it wasn't possible. That's why God could say to the people, when you disobey, if you disobey, repent, return, and I'll give you back the blessings. He knew we were going to fail. We are guaranteed in life because we are sinners, because our nature is to sin. We are guaranteed a never-ending cycle of disobedience and discipline, discipline and a lack of peace. That's life. 
That's, that's the way it is. You will not not sin. And your sin has consequences. Your sin brings about a lack of peace in your life. Maybe it's because your sins are, are financial and you don't have the money to buy the food that you need or the, 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 the things that you need to get the car fixed, get the house fixed, whatever it is. But you are suffering. You don't have peace in your life because of your financial sins. Maybe your relational sins are affecting relationships now or re relational ships now or relational sins now are affecting your relationships now or who knows, but your sinful affects your peacefulness. I, I hear of, of marriages that, that, uh, that uh, are, are, are crumbling and, and uh, just recently the, the folks, they will they'll separate and come back together and separate and come back together and separate and come back together. And, 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 and the reason that they separate after they come back together is because neither one, or at least one of them, hasn't changed. There's nothing different. It, it's, it's, it's me and me and me and, and what I want and, and the fight and the this and the that and you're stupid and I'm, uh, you, and I'm done. And, and we come back and we try it again. There's, there's, no, there's no repentance. There's no, there's no uh, peace because there's sin. Period. The garden was great. The garden was peaceful. The garden of Eden was peaceful. And then sin came in. And it ruined everything. And it continues to ruin everything. Peace from law following is temporary. Sure, we can have peace. If, if I do everything just right, if, if, if I am exactly what I am supposed to be, yeah, I will have peace some. Uh, this is kind of the strategy that we, I don't want to get too political here, but <clears throat> kind of the strategy we see some people hold in handling uh, terrorist organizations. If they just knew how much we loved them, they wouldn't blow us up. If they, if they just knew that we really want them to, to go to college, they wouldn't kill us. If, if it would rain over there and we'd quit emitting gases or whatever, because of global warming, that's why they are attacking concerts in Paris. No, they're, they're, they're doing that because of sin. It, it, it wouldn't matter how much we loved them as a whole. Now, I'm not talking about individuals, because I do believe our relationship with, with others. I mean, Paul, Paul met Jesus. I mean, it was, that was a slap in the face, knocked him around. Jesus said, shut up, get up, and go do what I tell you. And, and Paul said, whoo, been getting this wrong. But they, there are others that are, are brought from the fold of the devil into the fold of Jesus because of the relationship with others. As a matter of fact, most people come that way. So what I'm, I'm not saying that the, 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 uh, every individual is hopeless. What I'm saying is as a group, as an organization, as, a, as sinful people, just because I follow the law or you follow the law, you do everything you're supposed to do right, doesn't mean the next person is just going to think you're wonderful because of it. Just yesterday, it came out that uh, 
Tim Tebow's Miss USA girlfriend, and I'm hoping this is all true and I'm not repeating some rumor. It was legitimate news organizations that were talking about it, so who knows. Uh, Miss USA girlfriend broke up with him. Because he hit her? No. Because he abused her? No. Because he uh, was just an awful person that she just, oh, his attitude? No. Because he wouldn't have sex with her. Imagine that. A guy wanted to wait until marriage, so the girlfriend broke up with him. Even when, he does, when you do things that are right, that does not mean, and he is mocked incessantly right now, Tim Tebow is. Just, re, you know, I, I'm sure, um, it's not Letterman anymore, I don't even know who's on late night, Fallon or somebody, I, I'm sure this week they will be all over this to mock this guy because he stands for biblical principles, biblical values, doing what God says. Where's his peace because of it? Well, certainly not in the exterior. I mean, you, you, he's a great guy. I love Tim Tebow. He's not exactly been successful in, a, in the NFL. Where's his peace? Where, his, where is his blessing because he's done things right? The reality is, as much as I love Tim Tebow, and he will be the first to tell you, he's not perfect either. He is just as much a sinner as I am or as you are. But, you know, he, he follows the laws. Just like Paul could say, I followed every law like I'm supposed to. But he was not a peaceful man. He was out murdering folks. Peace from law following is temporary. Because the law can never truly provide peace. I can't follow enough laws to make everyone else like me. Be peaceful with me. I can never be good enough to always earn these blessings that Leviticus talks about. I can't get peace that way. I can't get continual peace that way. I can't get ultimate peace that way. Peace on earth only comes through Jesus. Luke 2.14, next week's passage. The angels told the shepherds, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to people He favors. Peace on earth. Jesus was the only one that could provide that. The law couldn't. The law can't even guarantee it. The law can't say much of anything about peace except that if you obey the law just like you're supposed to, then you will experience peace. Jesus is the guarantee of peace. Jesus is the only guarantee of peace. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here because we're, we're going to take a look at this peace over the next uh, four weeks. And we're going to break it down slowly. And, and if you remember your, your Venn diagrams from, from middle school, there will be a lot of overlapping of the circles here from one Sunday to the next. But we've got to understand that the peace that we want, the peace in our home, the peace at our job, the peace in our town, the peace in our country, political, economic, whatever it is, the peace that we wish for around the world, that will never come without Jesus. That's it. 
even if we could get everybody to follow the laws, even if we had got everybody to agree on what the laws were, we would not experience peace because it's temporary, because we're sinful, because the laws will be broken. Jesus only is our peace. Well, if Jesus is our only peace, how do we get it? It'd be great if, as, as the world says, as the world wishes, that just because this happened, not exactly like this because the, the wise men weren't there, but that's a different sermon. It, this, just because this happened, everything's okay. Yay, a baby was born. And we get to sing songs about it, and we give gifts, and Christmas, you know, we, we like each other. You realize that in the Civil War, it happened. In uh, World War I, I know it happened. I, I don't know too much about it happening in World War II. Christmas, during these wars, folks usually quit fighting. It, it, was, it was not uncommon, even in the Civil War, for this to happen at random times. But Christmas in particular, uh, Union troops and, and, and Southern troops during Christmas, put down their guns, kind of met in the mi middle, shared a meal, played cards, hung out. As a matter of fact, during the Civil War, they did that regularly. Not just Christmas, just any night. Once the battle was over and, and everybody was, was done and we're not fighting because it's dark and we don't have lights and, you know, heat-seeking bombs and all that, well, uh, you go hang out because chances are good you could be fighting not just a friend, but a relative. Brother against brother was literal. World War I, they did it too. And, and we're talking about now, not people who, uh, you know, just a few months before had been going to church together or something, but, but people who just historically don't like each other, the, the Germans and the, the French. In World War I, Christmas Eve, they had feasts. Armistice, no more fighting. And they would cross those, those, those barbed wire fences, come up out of the trenches, and come together. And that's a powerful statement of what Jesus can do. But for the most part, it was, well, it was obviously superficial. Because the next morning, you shot at the guy you just had Christmas dinner with. And I'm not talking about your, 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 your bad home life where you, you, know, you're, you're, you don't like your family but you ate meals with them. I'm talking about you really wanted to kill these people and, and did. See, Jesus brings that kind of peace. But not just because of some cute baby in a cute manger in a little, little fun thing we put under the tree. But because later on, Jesus went to the cross and said, it's finished. What's finished? The strife, the pain, the concerns, the wars. All those things are finished. Not as we see it. But as of the cross, those things no longer had control. Those things no longer defined us. We could have peace. Jesus is our peace. You give your heart to Jesus. You give your life 
to Jesus and you experience peace. I, don't, I can't explain it. I, I wish I could. I wish we could quantify it and if we could bottle it, that'd be great, but you can't. But I do know when you come to Jesus... You experience a peace like you've never done. Do, 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 your, do your outside situations change? Usually not. As a matter of fact, in two weeks, we're going to talk about how those things usually get worse. And Jesus knew it. Jesus promised. As a matter of fact, he said, after all this talk of peace, you know what? I didn't come to bring, bring peace, but a sword. Mother turned against daughter. Father turned against son. What are you talking about? You're the prince of peace. We're going to talk about that. But that's because things around us don't always change for the better just because we just trust Jesus. But what does change is our hearts. How we respond to things. Do we respond in peace when there is no peace around us? Are our hearts settled when nothing else is settled? Can we see God's hand of comfort in our troubled times even when there seems to be no end to the trouble? We can with Jesus. Jesus is our peace. Sin is the problem. Did I, did I make that clear today that sin is the problem? Sin is the reason we don't have peace. Sin is the issue. Jesus fixes the sin problem. The wages of sin is death. That's the ultimate, ultimate wage. But the, the current wage is not peace. Unpeace. Strife. Pain. Death. Your, your potty mouth. I mean, whatever it is, those are all problems. Your mouth that gets you in trouble. But the wages of sin ultimately is death. But the gift that God gave us, yeah, yeah. Why do we put the, the nativity scene under the tree? Because that's the best gift, right? You know, we can put Xboxes. Is that still one? Playstations, they still make those. Keys to a new car. I know they still make those. Put all those things under the tree, but we keep that one front and center because the best gift, eternal life, was wrapped up not in pretty paper and bows, but those rags they had, the, the swaddling clothes to put that baby in. That was the gift of eternal life. And it only comes through Jesus Christ. So this morning, the question is, do you want peace do you have your idea of what peace should be? Well, scratch that and let me tell you that the peace you need is the peace that comes through Jesus, not the peace of your spouse shutting their mouth. That's not the peace you need. It's the peace you want, but it's not the peace you need. It's not your boss letting you do what you think you should do instead of bossing you around, you know, his job. Uh, but it's, it's not, that's not it. It's peace in Jesus. It's not peace with global terrorist organizations. It's peace with Jesus. That is what we need in our troubled times. Let's pray. Father, God, thank you that you provided peace, that you gave peace through your Son. 
that our, our, our image of peace, our idea of peace, the things that we think we want, Lord, those pale in comparison to the peace that we can have through salvation given by the blood of your Son. Lord, help us to realize that our, our greatest need is a spiritual peace, not a physical peace, not a temporal peace, not a peace outside of us, but a peace within us. Lord, do something in our hearts today. Let us see our need. Let us know you provide peace through Jesus. Lord, then we can have peace for life. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Peace for life. Sounds great, right? It's possible. You'll still fight. Might get worse. People are going to die. Sickness will still happen. There will still be global terrorist organizations. But you will have peace if you accept Christ today. Maybe, maybe it's, it's a, you're experiencing a, an, an internal turmoil because you've not been obedient. You know you need to be baptized. You know you need to, to join this body, be a part of what we're doing. You know that you have not led a holy life. You need to recommit, return. You know that the reason you don't have peace in your life right now is not because you haven't trusted Jesus, but because you've not been obedient to Jesus. And there are things that you want to give to Him today. This morning, you can begin an experience of peace like you've never had. And as we sing, I pray that you would come forward. Talk to me. Let me pray with you. The altar's open. You don't have to have me. I'm not your mediator. I'm not your intermediary. You can go straight to God. Maybe that's what you want to do this morning. But this morning, as we do business with God, you come and get the peace that you need. Let's stand and let's sing.